setting the plate there. Praise the Lord. That goes right hand in hand with what I want to share about this morning. Praise the Lord. Is anyone else joyful? I am, and I feel like Holy Ghost joy. So, I don't know. I may go off script a little bit this morning. Thank you, Anthony. Praise the Lord being a child of God. You know, and something that chorus we were singing about there, no longer a slave of fear being a child of God. We're going to hear about no longer being a slave of sin this morning as well, being a child of God, but I don't want to get too far over my skis or ahead of myself. But the name of Christ, you know, is there anything more powerful than the name of Jesus? Sort of a rhetorical question. I would say no, but the power that is in that name. Hallelujah. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in regret. We don't have to live as an orphan. There is power. There is resurrection, Holy Ghost power in the name of Jesus. I also got thinking when Jeremy was sharing about that a little bit too, not to make this about us because His name is to be exalted and that's what we're doing. We're lifting up His name. But I want to tell you, friend and brother and sister, He does know your name. Do you realize that? Can you take hope in that this morning that He knows your name? And I thought of two examples in the Bible where he knows someone's name. The first would be Samuel. Samuel was this just little boy. And what did God? He called him by name. Samuel, Samuel, right? God had good for him, great things for him. And the other one I think about, there was someone else whose name started with S at that time that God, God called twice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that may sound like a bad thing, but in both of those instances, God was doing that in love. He loved them dearly. He had tremendous plans. Think of Samuel, the first prophet, um, you know, and really kind of started a line there that with the kings that eventually came into the line of Christ as far as the, the prophetic. But I also think about Saul, who became the apostle Paul, and we're going to read some of his writings here today. Um, the powerful things that may have hurt at that time when Saul had that uh, epiphany, if you will, on the road to Damascus. Why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? Immediately, it's amazing. Saul knew who he was dealing with. He knew it was the Lord. So he knew their names and saints. He knows yours as well. He knows the hurts. He knows the struggles. And he knows the end. Amen. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad you're a child of God today? that He knows the beginning from the end, that He will perfect that which concerns you. Amen? And there's a lot of concerns in this room. I know that. We come here, as Jeremy said every Sunday, there's a lot of victory. There's a lot of pain as well. But God knows, and He is seeing you through it. So what's our part? Um, and I'll get into that here today a little bit. But you know, salvation, and I want to say this from the very beginning. I don't want to be controversial. I'm going to be preaching directly out of this today. So if you have your Bible, why don't you raise that up? I want to see who has their sword with them today. Hopefully all of you. And if you don't, guess what? There's Bibles in the pulpits right in front of you. This is powerful. And this is what we're going to preach out of. Amen? And it's what we want to hear out of. But I'm going to share some stuff. Um, not, not to be controversial, um, but we should have victory over sin. Amen? And before we get into that, we're going to be in Romans 8. Put your thumb there if you, if you have your sword. I'm going to take a quick drink. Put your thumb in Romans 8. I want to talk for a minute. Jim, last week, he put up several 
list and stuff. One of them had sermon titles. Remember that? So how do you like this sermon title? A Matter of Life or Death. Is that pretty good on the scale? Wayne, Wayne's sort of our, the guy who judges these. Is this like an up or a down? It's a matter of life or death. That sounds pretty hype, right? So I don't want to hype up too much, but a matter of life or death, which we're going to look at, it, it, it really comes from Romans 8.6. It says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. How many of you would like to be spiritually minded? How, how many of you would like to have a life, have life and peace? And then be spiritual minded. Amen. Let's close. I'm just joking. <laughs> We're going to get into about how to be spiritual minded. But Jim put up that list, and he also, what did he preach out of last week? Who remembers? What book? Titus. Very good. What was Mike in the week before? Ephesians. Very good. Who wrote those books? Paul. We're going to be in Romans today. There's sort of a theme that's going on, studying the works of Paul. But there, in overall Christendom, there is maybe people who have a problem with Paul. Have you ever heard about this? Paul preached another gospel. Um, he, he took and really perverted the teachings of Christ. You ever heard that before? Yeah, I mean, that's actually a thing, believe it or not. It's known as Pauline Christianity, um, which I want to touch on briefly before we dive into our text. And a critique that you may have heard is that Paul's were, teachings were different than that of the Lord Jesus. Those who believe in a separate Pauline Christianity believe that Christianity of today has little to do with the teachings of Christ. Rather, Paul corrupted them. We believe here at Turkey Run, and I believe a lot of the Western church, we believe that the New Testament is a unified whole. The Gospels present the life and work of the Lord Jesus as Messiah. The epistles explain the meaning and scope of Jesus' work and apply it to daily living. Basically, how do we live this out? And that is a huge thing in Christendom. I can have all the knowledge in the world. I mean, the Pharisees had all kinds of knowledge, and there's nothing wrong with studying. We're actually talking about here later about studying and meditating on the Word of God. But until I put that into practice, there's something radically wrong. And what Paul did and the other writers of the epistles, how do we live this out, the teachings of Christ? And I'll give you a couple examples where, of the Lord Jesus in his teachings and how um, Paul or the writer of Hebrews kind of fleshed those out for us. In Matthew 28, it narrates the fact of Jesus' resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it explains the significance of the Lord's resurrection. Another example in Mark 15.8 tells of the temple veil being torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus died. Then in Hebrews chapter 10, 11 through 23 re reveals the significance of the event of the veil being torn in two. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the Gospels also inspired the epistles to give us a fuller understanding of God's plan of salvation. Amen? The same Spirit was working in the apostles as it was in the Lord Jesus. And Paul, speaking of him, is very Christocentric in his theology. What's that mean? What is Christocentric? The Lord Jesus, well, if you hear centric, you think that must mean what? Is it on the outside? It's in the center. Very good. The Lord Jesus was the center of everything for Paul. As he lived, Paul did, in communion with and in response to his exalted Lord. The Lord Jesus being central and our relationship to him are the main are a main theme in Paul's theology 
and most aptly expressed in the phrase, in Christ. Now, in Paul's epistles, in Christ, or a close variant thereof, were found 172 times. Do you think he was making a point? In Christ. Amen? 172 times. A couple of examples. And this would be a, a good name for a construction business or for a deer processing. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creature, a new creation. If you're in Christ, that's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Ephesians 2.10 we are His workmanship, talking about the Father. We are God's workmanship created in Christ. For what? For good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In all that Paul did, he wanted to bring the focus and the glory upon the Lord Jesus. I'm going to say that again. In everything that Paul did, he was reflecting the praise and the glory upon who? The Lord Jesus. He was lifting Him up. He understood that there is no disconnect between his writings and the teachings of Christ. He understood that, and so should we. We rest on the truth found in 2 Timothy 3.16, which tells us all Scripture, say that, all Scripture, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So, I'll get off my soapbox here about the Apostle Paul being you know, teaching a different gospel than Christ, and we'll get into our text. Turn to your Bibles again in Romans 8. And before that, I just want to share a disclaimer um, about Romans 8. Romans 8 is very straightforward in its teaching, at least to me. I mean, I just literally read where Paul told Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration to God. But in my, in my mindset, there are mountain tops in Scripture. I mean, at least ones I like, maybe. I enjoy reading maybe more than others. And me personally... Romans 8 is one of my very, 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 did I say very? Very favorite chapters in the entire Bible. It is incredibly powerful, but it's also very straightforward. Um, it is a conclusion of an argument or a treatise that Paul has been laying out in the previous chapters, really starting in Romans chapter 5. And just a 30,000-foot view of this would be justification by faith, which thank the Lord we're here today and we believe that. It's really a lot of what the Reformation was about. We are justified by faith. That comes from Paul's teachings, starting at the end of 4 into Romans 5, um, that we're freed from the Old Covenant law. Can you say amen to that? Did anyone bring an animal in here to sacrifice this morning? No, you didn't. Praise the Lord. We're freed from that law, so don't put yourself back under it. Hallelujah. We're dead to sin and alive to Christ. Amen? Do you believe that? I find a lot of Christendom doesn't. I mean, honestly, for years, I'm not sure I believe it. I got a thumbs up from Zoe, praise the Lord. I love Zoe, man. She, if you ever watch her live stream, Zoe was in the live stream reading a, a prayer last Sunday night down there um, at Living Hope Fellowship. And it's also good. I'll give a shout out to my good buddy. He looks like Santa Claus, but he's not Santa Claus, children. Thomas Iwanusa here, brother uh, from New Straitsville, who'll actually be sharing tonight down there. So it's good to see you, Thomas. Praise the Lord. But this again, Romans 8, the context is important. Then Romans 8 will end and it goes into God dealing with Israel and stuff. So this is a, a, a school of thought. Um, 
I want to specifically focus on the spiritually minded versus carnally minded this morning. And instead of spiritually, maybe we can see a heavenly minded. I know I've shared this quote before. I know Pastor Mike has shared this before. So belabor me, I'm going to read it again. But Oliver Wendell Holmes said, Some people are so heavenly minded, what? That they are of no earthly good. Not many people could be accused of that today, could they? But is that a true statement? Is that a true statement? I, honestly, I don't think so. And I'll, I'll defer to someone much more learned and wiser than me, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, to that quote, observed, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. They were spiritually or heavenly minded. They, were, they knew they were passing through, that they were pilgrims and sojourners here on this earth. And being spiritually minded has always been a high priority among the overcoming saints that have come before us. They had the testimony, as we read in Hebrews chapter 11, of whom this world was not worthy. They, they were spiritually minded. In his devotional classic, and I know many of you, have, I'm sure, have read this, The Imitation of Christ, Thomas Akempa said, Set aside the things of time and seek those of eternity. That's being spiritually minded. And the Puritan theologian John Owen wrote a 236-page treatise called The Grace and Duty of Being Spiritually Minded. They saw the importance of this, so obviously so should we here in the 20th, 21st century. Man, I don't even know what year I'm in. All right, Romans 8. And actually, for context, if you see a therefore in the Bible, how many of your Bible says therefore at Romans 8.1? I'm going to be corny here, but if you see it in the Bible, what do you do? You see what it's there for. So we're going to read the verse right before it. We're going to read 725b through um, 8 on an 8. So then, I myself indeed with the mind serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And right before this, he said, O miserable man that I am who can separate me from um, this body of sin. He was talking about his old life before he knew the Lord. He wasn't currently living in that state, but he said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 8.1, therefore, there is now no condemnation to the ones in Christ Jesus, Marvin. This is literally from the Greek, and it says, who do not, do not walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I could blow it up if you like. We, we go back and forth because a lot of translations, um, the more Eastern translations, I believe, do not have that in there. Who don't walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For the inability of the law, in that it was weak by means of the flesh, God having sent His own Son in the similarity of flesh with reference to sin and concerning sin, He brought down judgment upon sin, upon the sin, while in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us, the ones not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the ones being according to the flesh mind the things of the flesh, but the ones according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mind of the flesh is death, or for to be carnally minded is death. But the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Since the mind of the flesh is enmity against God, indeed, it is not subject to the law of God, for neither is it possible. In fact, the ones being in the flesh 
are not, are not able to please God. Amen? Amen. Let's look at this here. I want to look at verses 1 through 4 before I get into kind of the meat of what I want to share just briefly. No condemnation to those who are in Christ. And I can say not walking according to the, the flesh, which also is echoed in verse 4. That means if I'm walking in the Spirit, there's no condemnation for me. I've been born again. If you're in Christ today and you're spiritual minded, there's no condemnation. We don't have to worry about the judgment. The judgment's already been paid on Christ. We will stand before God one day um, and be judged for the things we've done in the flesh. But the great white throne room judgment for the unbelievers, for the lost, we don't have to fear that. And that's an awesome thing. And we can rest in that, that there is no condemnation. But don't take this verse out of context. I've seen many people through the years, someone's into sin. And look, I, I, maybe they repented, I don't know. But I've heard, brother, there's no condemnation. Yeah, for those who don't walk after the flesh. That's the key right there. If you're walking after the flesh, you ought to fear judgment. Maybe I'm preaching as an evangelist here today and trying to stir things up. But yeah, you ought to fear judgment if you're walking after the flesh is what he's saying. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. You tell me there's more than one law? It's what the Word of God is saying right here. That law of sin and death is the Old Covenant Old Testament regulations, the things that were against us, as the Word of God says in here. I don't have to keep the ceremonial rules. I don't have to do all these things. That Christ, by His death and resurrection, has set me free from them. There is a law of Christ. What is that? I would say, at the very least, imitating Him. I know in James it says, looking into the perfect law of liberty. What's liberty? Freedom. I walk in freedom because Christ has set me free. And if you're in the Lord, He has set you free as well. I would say the law of Christ is this, because they asked Him at one point, what? Teacher, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? They always, they all, yeah, exactly. Go ahead and say it. Whoever is saying that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second one? Love your neighbors yourself. He says, on this hang all the law and the prophets. Think about that. They wanted to make more rules. They made 614 of them, and they made rule after rule after rule. I mean, they would just sit back and judge you. You're not measuring up or whatever. They were setting traps not only for you, but ultimately for themselves. The Lord took all that away. He says there's two. If I'm loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my, my neighbor is myself, you can say I am walking spiritually minded, or I'm walking in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen or oh my. Verse 3, for the inability of the law, this is talking about the Old Testament law, in that it was weak by means of the flesh, God having sent His own Son in the similitude or the similarity of flesh with reference to sin and concerning him, he, sin, He brought down judgment upon the sin while in the flesh. That Christ, there is the teaching, and I'm not sure where I believe, this gentleman here who's a scholar said, you know, a lot of people believe Christ took the sin, and He took the sins of the world, but he, he entered in in the role of the high priest and the king, and He abolished death. He put a, a stake through it that we no longer have to live under the yoke and power of sin. Amen? It was a one-time sacrifice. Am I wrong in that, Rob? Sorry, I didn't. I mean, that, that's the truth, but there, there's certain teaching like easy believism and stuff. It's like, no, I've prayed... And I continually walk in sin every day and it's like I continually repent. Do I mess up and do I walk in sin? Yes, I'm not saying I'm sinless perfection, but man, we ought to have power 
over the curse of sin. It has been broken by the blood, by the death, the resurrection of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's believe it. Let's live it. If that's not your story, and I'm, I don't want to be a hypocrite or a liar up here in the pulpit. I mean, that hasn't always been my story as I've followed Christ for almost 25 years now. But I'm telling you, that's what this teaches. That's what it teaches. If your doctrine doesn't match up to the Word of God, guess which one needs to go? Verse 4, before I dig myself too much of a hole. Guys, still awake? Am I digging? All right. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us, the ones not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're fulfilling the law, the righteous requirement of the law of Christ. Awesome thing. I don't have much to say on that. We'll move on. But it, it's awesome. Our lives fulfill that. It's us being in union. It makes me think of John 15. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you know, you will ask whatever in my name and it should be done for you. It's that union. It's the sap, if you will, the blood of Christ running through our veins that's important. It's fulfilling the law of the Lord. Now to the meat of what I want to get to. Look at verses uh, 5 through 7. In verse 5 specifically, it says, For the ones being according to the flesh set their mind or mind the things of the flesh, but the ones according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now the phrase, set their minds, found in verse 5, is a verb, and I'm not going to dig into the Greek deeply or whatever, but it, trust me, it's a verb. You can look it up if you want my notes. I'll give them to you. But it refers to the orientation of one's thoughts, affections, and desires. And really, that's what this comes down to. What are you hungry for? What are your affections? What do you thirst after? What do you long after? The verse states a reality and suggests a responsibility. And responsibility, you know what that means? You have the ability to respond. You have a responsibility, believer, in this. The reality is this. Your mindset is evidence of your spiritual condition. I'm going to say that again. Your mindset, whether it's carnal or whether it's spiritual, it is the evidence of your spiritual condition. Amen? It's a litmus test right there, what you're thinking about. Our mindset expresses our basic nature as Christians or as non-Christians has eternal consequences and concerns our foundational attitude towards God. Notice the contrast between two different kinds of people, those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. And by flesh, Paul means not our material bodies or natural instincts, which is interesting because Paul, and I know John especially dealt with this, but Paul dealt with what the Gnostics of the day and if you will, a lot of the easy believism of our present age where if you just pray a prayer, you can live however you want because it's all about the spirit. It's not about the body. Paul was contesting that, the Gnosticism. What you do in the body is important. You cannot separate the two. Your inner man, our outer man is perishing, but our inner man is being built up. But what I do in the flesh and how I live is very important. Hallelujah. But he's not... Not our material bodies or natural instincts, but rather our entire human nature outside of Christ. As used here, flesh means our fallen humanity, our human nature inherited from Adam. When Adam sinned, guess what? It says death came into the world. We can read this in Romans 5 at the end of the chapter. And death reigned because of sin. Did we inherit Adam's sin? 
Augustine says so. There's some thought about that, but sin definitely entered the world. I believe going to our um, Sunday school about Ezekiel, we're responsible for ourselves. I definitely have a death sentence because of Adam's sin. And you know what? I've definitely lived as Adam as well, and so have you. So that's a subject for another day. And the flesh, digress, the flesh and spirit in this passage is not a contrast between physical, material, visible things and invisible, immaterial things, but it is a contrast between two ways to live. One is the way of rebellion or the way of the flesh, or two, the way of the spirit and living a life of peace with God's approval. Look at verses 8 and 9 real quick here. Romans 8, 7, I'm sorry, 7 and 8, my bad. Romans 8, 7 and 8. Since the mind of the flesh is enmity against God, indeed, it is not subject to the law of God, for neither is it possible. In fact, the ones being in the flesh are not able to please God. Period. End of point. You didn't save yourself. You didn't conjure it up one day in your flesh thinking I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be... You didn't even know what those words meant. How do I know that? Because neither did I. I realized at one point I was lost. And the Lord Jesus... Here you, here's your Calvinistic throw out, Marvin. No one comes to the Father unless He's drawn. Or no one comes to me unless He's drawn by the Father. John 6.44 But God had to initiate something in your life. He was drawing you. I have to respond to that as well. And I realized, man... I'm lost. I'm a carnal person, carnally minded, and I deserve hell ultimately for my rebellion. And how can I please God? It is by living in the Spirit. See, in verses 7 and 8, there is no command found here. Based on the verb tense, again, in verse 5, this is not a command. It's a reality. It's a statement of fact that you are not able to please God in the flesh. The command is found in another of Paul's epistles. Turn to Colossians 3. Very for, very familiar verses. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If you're there, say I'm there. This is how I know if you're awake. Praise the Lord. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. I'll just say the rest of you go back to sleep. If then, is if a conditional word? I think the Lord said, if you are my disciples, or if you obey my commandments, right here, Paul says, if then, this takes into account, or it's supposing that you have given your life to Christ. It says, if then, you were raised up with Christ. Where's the Christian at right now? I mean, we're sitting here. Ephesians 2.7, what's it say? that He has raised us up and we're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Explain that to me. But that goes hand in hand with what he's saying there. If you have been raised up with Christ, in other words, Christ's death was my death, His resurrection was my resurrection. And in John 3, I believe it's verse 13, 14, it says, and the Son of Man who is in the heavens right now, speaking of His omniscience, if we're in Christ, I ought to have a heavenly mindset is what I'm saying. Doesn't mean I'm necessarily in heaven, but I don't know what that means. I'll admit it. And that's a sermon for another day. But that means at the very least, I need to think on things above. The Lord says from now on, you will see heaven open up and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of God. We ought to have new revelation as we spend time with Him. Amen? He gives us revelation. Speaking of authority, 
Jesus said, all authority I've given you go into all the world. We ought to walk in authority. We ought to walk in power. Right, Thomas? Amen. Come on. We ought to have these things. We ought to have that mindset of the things above. I'm going to finish on Colossians 2. I'm getting going. If you then being raised up with Christ, you must, again, that is a command, you must seek the things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And it's, again, Ephesians says we're seated in the heavenly places. I don't know, but it's awesome. It's awesome, saints. It's an awesome thing. It's a privilege. We don't deserve, but He is good. You must set your mind, again, the mind, on the things above, not upon the things of the earth. This is the definition right here out of Scripture, and that's the best place to look for a definition. This is the definition of being spiritually minded. Seeking the things above, setting our mind there, not on earthly things. And perhaps, turn to Galatians 5, perhaps the best description or definitions about the differences between being fleshly minded and being spiritually minded is found in Galatians 5. I love Galatians. It was maybe the first book written by Paul. It was very early on. It's before the Jerusalem Council. We know by what is written in there. Galatians 5. You who study the Bible, I think of Aaron among Aaron is not in here, I don't think. Others. You who love reading Scripture, have you ever noticed the similarities? I mean, I just compared Colossians with a verse in Ephesians, but have you ever noticed the similarities between Galatians and Romans specifically? It's amazing. Amazing stuff. Awesome tells you there's a awesome God is the author. Hallelujah. It's supernaturally written. You ever notice like Peter's writings and Jude, how similar they are as well? This wasn't conjured up by men. God wrote these things. Galatians 5, definitions here of spiritually minded and carnally minded. It's amazing. We always love to memorize the fruit of the Spirit, but we don't like to look at this other list, which we're going to look at right here. Galatians 5, 16. Again, Paul talking. Now I say to you, you must, again, this is an imperative, you must walk in the Spirit. You're not going to live as a Christian unless you walk in the Spirit. Amen? Unless you're spiritually minded. And you absolutely cannot, I love this, how this, the, he takes the original Greek and, and draws out, you absolutely cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh, i.e. the fallen nature. Because if you're fulfilling the lust of the flesh, You've either in danger of walking away from the Lord or you don't know Him. I'm just leaving that right there. Now the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. Indeed, these things oppose each other so that you may not do the things that you desire. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. That's amazing how that comes back in there. You're not under law if you are led by the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh are manifestations, or your translation may say it's evident which are adultery. I'm telling you, check yourself right here. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. The Bible, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, examine yourself to see if you're in a faith. The works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, indecency, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousies, outburst of wrath, strife, dissensions, false teachings, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and things similar to these which things I told you before, even as I said before, that the ones practicing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is the one we memorize, and for good reason. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faith or faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law because the, 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 those commandments, the law is done away with. Now we're walking in the law of Christ. In fact, the ones who are of Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, we should also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen? I also want to quickly, and for the sake of time, turn here. Ephesians 4. Take a right in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. Here's an easy way to memorize these minor epistles. General Electric Power Company. GE. PC, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians 4. You guys getting hungry? Don't let your God be your belly. Ooh. Be fast every once in a while. Anyway, Galatians 4, 17 through 24. Talk about putting on and putting off. Now I say it and declare in the Lord. You're no longer to walk as the other Gentiles walk. He's speaking to believers here. Don't walk as these people on the outside. In the nonsense of their mind. Interesting, talk about the mind. And he said it's nonsense. Having been darkened in understanding, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance existing in them, because of the hardness of their heart, who having ceased from feeling shame, talk about shame before, in Sunday school, gave themselves over to immorality for the practice of every impurity and greed for more. But you learned Christ, but you learned not the Christ in this way, if indeed you heard him and you were taught by him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that you are to put off once for all. Say this, I'm putting, I put off, say that, I put off, you put off once for all, and this is what happened when you came to the Lord. Concerning the former way of life, the old man, that old man I have to put off. And you know what? There's sometimes that old man resurrects from the grave. I have been crucified with Christ, but you know what? Todd shows up every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? The old Todd. And I have to say, get back there in that grave. But I need, I have to put that off, that old man, the one being depraved according to the desires of delusion. And you, and to be new again in the spirit of your what? Of your mind. And to put on, say put on. Put on the new man, the one having been created in conformity with God in righteousness and holiness and truth. The old man is carnally minded without the Spirit of God and only follows the desires of the flesh. The flesh is always crying out, give me, give me, give me, or more, more, more. But the Bible tells us in Romans 13, 14 to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. The new man is filled with the Spirit, is led by the Spirit, is hungry for the things of the Spirit. The new man has crucified the flesh with its lust and desires. And it's interesting, not in this Bible, I actually go to my new King James right here, my new King Jimmy. You know, it's it's not Scripture, but you do have Scripture headlines right here. In mine, above Romans 8, it says, free from indwelling sin. This isn't gospel, but this is what the theme of this is right here. Free from indwelling sin. Follow me for a minute as we think this out regarding carnal versus being spiritually minded. There are a lot of religious people who know their Bible, but they are way more interested in their outer life or the things of this age. You know, the things, what I can get, what I can do, where I can go. And those things aren't necessarily bad, but when they start consuming you, that's terrible. That's when you shipwreck your faith. And that's what I'm getting at here. That's being carnally minded. 
if you're more carried, carried about the externals, how I look or how cool I am, I'm trying to impress others, or, or I live for the applause of man, carnally, that's carnal-minded. A spiritually-minded person is more interested in their inner Christian life. They read, and more than that, they obey their Bible. They put it into practice. They ask God to search them and try them to see if there is any crooked way in them. They only covet God's approval. They are the bride of Christ. If I'm, if I'm only a servant, I'm going to live as a servant. I'm going to be under like a taskmaster and, and under fearful. But if I see myself as the bride, if you see yourself as the bride, we know we have a loving husband and that's the Lord Jesus. And there's going to be a, a great wedding feast one day and we keep ourselves pure because we're in relationship with them or with the Lord. We're not in a servant relationship where we're just like, jump to attention and if I follow these rules, that's religion. We have to see ourselves as the bride. Amen? That's hard for men. I realize that. Sometimes that's hard for me. But I know that He loves me. And if He takes something out of my life or puts something in, I have to say yes, Lord, because I know it is for the best. Because truly He knows what I need in that season, in that time. And He knows the same for you. Amen? A spiritually minded person lives a righteous life, is free and is seeking or is seeking to be free from um, from an indwelling sin. And you may scoff at this assertion, but I want to read a couple verses for you. Turn, let's see the words of the Lord Jesus. John chapter 8, in the Gospel of John chapter 8. Very famous verses here. And I promise you, I'm wrapping this up here in about 20 to 45 minutes or so. Um, John 8, 31. Allison did, she sent food. She says, make sure he doesn't preach too long because it will turn to mush. I said, it'll be, it'll be liquid by the time I'm done with this sermon. So hallelujah, amen. Bring a straw. Anyway, John 8, 31 through 36. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, see, these people believed him. And I think he's speaking to religious leaders as well as to the crowd, but it says they believed him. That's important. If, again, a conditional word right here, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So there's a key there. I have to abide in His Word or in His teaching. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And I've heard this many times. you probably heard me preach this. You hear people use this. I've heard it in commercials. Hey, the truth will make you free. Well, that's a true statement, but who said it? This is who said it right here. It's the Lord Jesus. If you abide in His teachings, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And you know, religious people like to argue, the Jews here, the religious leaders, they start arguing with him. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. That's a lie. They've been in bondage to Babylon. We're reading Ezekiel right now. They've been bondage in Egypt as well, at the very least. Some of them went into Assyria. They definitely knew what bondage was about. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, it's interesting where he goes here. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But if the, but if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And it talks about how a son abides forever. You know, we're no longer slaves to fear. I should be no longer a slave to sin according to the word of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Go to John 6. How many of you ever quoted John 6.23? Do you know what that verse says? What's John 6.23? I'm an evangelist. I go preach and whatever. I, I use this a lot. John 6.23. For the wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of you know that Paul wrote an entire chapter before that? 
It's pretty important to read what he wrote in there. A lot of times we, we pick and choose a verse. I'll give you a few highlights for the sake of time. Read the chapter when you get a chance. John 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who what died to sin live any longer in it? Then verses John 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Again, Christ's crucifixion when you put your faith in Christ is your crucifixion. Our old man was crucified with him and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Kind of echoes what the Lord Jesus said. Again, showing that Paul was complementary to the Gospels coming alongside. Then John 6, 11 through 14. Romans, I'm saying, you're right, Romans. I was thinking of John. You're like, what are you talking about, man? That doesn't, that's not jiving. Romans, Romans 6, my bad. Romans 6. Do I need to start the sermon over? <laughs> Romans, you're like, no way. Just get it over. Okay, I'm being convicted. Okay, Romans 6, 11 through 14. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, but you should, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin, sh- and this is a word I'm speaking to you, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are no longer, long, no longer under law, but under grace. Amen? Makes me think of the, the woman caught in adultery, actually earlier in John 8, which started that argument with the Jewish leaders. Who condemns you? No one, Lord. They're all gone. But what did he tell her? Go and sin no more. And we think that's impossible. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? As I live in the Lord, as I keep myself close to Him. And why do I say this? If you turn in your Bibles all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve had two sons at the beginning, Cain and Abel. What did God tell Cain? They brought their offerings and stuff, and Cain was angry because God did not accept his offering. God told him, and I'll just quote it here, and if you do well, this is Genesis 4-7, for the sake of time, don't bother turning it, look it up later. And if you do, I'm sorry, and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. This is interesting. And its desire is for you, or to rule over you, but you shall rule over it. How could Cain rule over sin? Does God give us free will? Does He expect us to rule over sin? That we have a choice in doing right and wrong? This is deep water. And I may be, get rebuked for this, but to me, that's what the Bible's teaching. Some doctrines say different, but we shouldn't live in sin. See, friends, Christians are required to live righteous lives. This should be the default setting. You know, we got a new drone and probably sometime I'm going to have to push a default setting, bring it back to factory. Our factory setting, if you will, we weren't made in a factory, but when we were born again, it should be walking in righteousness. It shouldn't be living in sin. And this can only be accomplished by walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh, by being spiritually minded. The Spirit of God empowers us to live righteous lives, pleasing to Him in the present age, in the here and now. I'm not going to be... I shouldn't live with a mindset I'm going to be free from sin one day when I enter into glory. Yeah, but I should live in the power over sin. I ought to live in a holy way that brings glory to God. And as I do that, I'm in communion with the Lord, growing closer and closer to Him every day. And guess what? So should you. 
That's walking spiritual-minded. And know this, as I read in Galatians, that a carnal-minded person living in rebellion to God will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, as I said at the beginning, I want to state emphatically, salvation is the gift of God. Not works, so you cannot boast about it. But as it's given to you, man plays a part in this. I, hear me now. I'm not saying we earned our salvation. I'm not saying salvation is man. But you have, as you're given that gift, you need to live it out. You need to walk with the Lord. Call me a heretic. That's what the Bible teaches. I'm going to, for the sake of time, skip Romans 8, 9 through 14 because it's 12 noon. And I want to get to the application. And Romans 8, 9 through 14 talks about how those in the flesh cannot please God. Here's the application. Do you guys have those pictures up and ready? First one, how do I do this? How do I live spiritually minded? The first one is to seek. Colossians, again, we're back in Colossians 3, 1 through 15. Sorry, I'm going to read a lot of scripture here today. Colossians 3, 1 through 5, I'm sorry. First one is seek. If you then were raised with Christ, you must seek the things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You must set your mind on the things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life has been hid with Christ in God. When Christ, our life, may be manifested or shall appear, then also you will be manifested with him in glory. Accordingly, you did volitionally put to death your members that are upon the earth, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustful desire, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. So the first way or application, I need to seek. I need to seek the things above. The second one, very familiar verse, Romans 12, 2. I'll flip there since I'm in Romans. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I need to die to myself, lay on that altar as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We're talking about how do we minister unto God. This is my reasonable service. I present myself a living sacrifice. And here's the, here's the, the renewal. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the third application is to meditate. This is out of Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Let me turn there. Very familiar, famous verses as well. Finally, brethren, whatever things are pure, or whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw on me, these do, and the God of peace be with you. And I think that is, he's, Paul said, you saw this in me. We look at our pastors and our leaders. We look to people that may be more mature in the faith. Emulate them. Meditate on the Word of God and meditate and, and emulate those who come before you. But I saw this the other day. I actually posted this online. I thought this was great and true. If you don't fill your mind with the Word of God, if you don't meditate, if you don't renew your mind, the enemy will fill it with fear, anxiety, stress, worry, and temptation. Is that true? It's absolutely true. Fill it with the Word of God. Meditate on these things. And then the fourth one is to believe. I'm sorry, I was, I was behind myself. There's that. Oh, this is what I had to meditate. Does this picture strike home with anyone? I got one hand. There's one honest person in this room that's of age. What, what is that right there specifically? I have an iPhone. Is that, I, that convicts me. 
Am I meditating? Am I constantly scrolling through my stream or reading the latest news just wanting to know stuff? Or am I meditating on the things above and the Word of God? I'm just going to leave that right there. Then the last one is to believe. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Take God at His Word and believe His promises. Amen? Do you believe that? He's not given you a spirit of fear. That spirit of fear did not come from God. It came from the wicked one. But He's given you power, Holy Ghost power, love of the Father, and the mind of Christ is how I look at that. Philippians 2.5. Amen? Attaining each of these is more about surrendering than trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, by your own discipline. Discipline is important. Reading is important. But again, it's, it's dying to self. It's surrendering to Him and putting these steps into practice. And perhaps above all else, we need to ask God for more passion for Him, for more love for Him. That's, that's how I could be spiritually minded, that I just am in love with the Lord. I'm waiting to go home. We say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Is that your prayer? We're longing for that country that we know we're just sojourners here on this earth, just passing through. And finally, I just want to give you this admonition. Watch your mindset. Watch your mindset, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, I pray that you'd come to know Him. But watch your mindset because it is a matter of life and death. Why don't we stand and sing number 180? through twice in the hymnal and we'll be dismissed number 180 we'll sing it through twice spirit of the living god that's what we need that's who we call out to marvin would you lead that please